Well, it's good to see you all here uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to turn for our scripture reading uh, to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 10 and 11. Um, over the past few Sunday mornings, we've been studying this book of uh, 1 Peter. And we've got to uh, these just two verses this morning. Um, Two, I think, very significant verses. They're, uh, I think, the kind of turning point, a uh, pivotal point in Peter's letter. And I'll try to explain that uh, in a little uh, moment or two. But let's just uh, look at them. Let's just read them uh, together, first of all. So, 1 Peter 2, uh, sorry, verse 11. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers, or some translations put it foreigners and exiles. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So reads God's word. Uh, Let's take a moment to pray and ask for God's help. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're a God who is not silent, but a God who speaks, that you have spoken by your spirit through the prophets and the apostles in the past, And we thank you for the word which we have written here and opened before us today. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through your word today. Give us understanding and help us to apply your word to our lives that we might live for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm sure you're... Most of you have been with us over the past few weeks. You're very familiar now with the situation. The Apostle Peter was writing this letter uh, to Christians who were scattered throughout Asia Minor, um, modern-day Turkey, um, writing to them um, in the middle of the first century, maybe 30 years or so after the the death and resurrection of Jesus. And were these uh, believers uh, scattered, Throughout Asia Minor, citizens of the Roman Empire, um, under the authority, really, of Caesar, um, they were living uh, very much as a minority, subject to his authority, and the Roman Empire proclaimed that Caesar was Lord, and this was the situation which they found themselves in, and not only was Caesar recognized as Lord, but that their pagan neighbors around them, the people among whom they lived, Um, Most of them pursued other gods, uh, worshipped other gods, and pursued a a very different kind of lifestyle from what they followed. And so here they were, finding themselves a a minority, um, living in a society which was really quite hostile towards them. And as a result of that, they found themselves uh, maybe discriminated against, uh, ridiculed, uh, ostracized and suffering, really, for their faith in God. This was the situation, really, which they found themselves in. 
they had become really under a lot of pressure. And Peter's overall message to them is for them to stand fast in their faith. We get that right at the very end in chapter 5, verse 12. He says, uh, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it, or stand firm in your faith. This is his overall message to Christians living in a hostile world. And I think for that reason, it's actually a letter which is very relevant for us today. Because we find ourselves, as Christians in this society, um, increasingly in a minority. Um, Christian values and beliefs, Christian standards, uh, are really widely rejected now. We find ourselves out of step uh, with the majority of our neighbours or the people that we work with. If we say that we believe that same-sex relationships are morally wrong, or if we say that Jesus is the only way to God, then we are dismissed as being intolerant and narrow-minded, divisive, and even dangerous. Uh, I came across recently this little book here called Being the Bad Guys. Uh, Its title intrigued me somewhat. Um, uh, uh, The subtitle is How to Live for Jesus in a World that Says You Shouldn't. And uh, the author argues that Christians now find themselves in a minority and really they're quite often labelled as being the bad guys. He says only a few generations ago, Christianity was the good guy. The solution to what was bad. Christian morality was assumed and passed mainly unchallenged. The cultural, legal, political power structures affirmed Christians. Then something changed, and it changed rapidly. Within the past 50 years, increasingly Christianity is viewed as the bad guy. Christianity is no longer an option. It's a problem. It seems to be divisive, yes, even dangerous. And Christian beliefs and standards are increasingly ridiculed and rejected. Now, how are we to live in this situation? I mean, that's the issue Peter was addressing. How do Christians live in a society which is really hostile to their beliefs and values? How are Christians to live in a hostile, anti-Christian world? Now Peter's answer, I think as we read through the whole letter, we see that Peter's answer, I think, really is twofold. First of all, he says we should remember the privileges we enjoy. We should remember the privileges we enjoy. That's, that's the point I think he's been making uh, so far in the letter, in, uh, in the verses up until now. He reminds those that he's writing to that we have a great inheritance, chapter 1, verses 3 and 5. He reminds us that we have heard the gospel preached to us, chapter 1, verse 12. We have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, 
chapter 1, verses 14 to 21. We have been born again by the Holy Spirit, chapter 1, verse 23. We are now part of the temple of God and members of the people of God, chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. These are the great privileges, the great blessings which every Christian possesses, which we possess today, which cannot be taken from us, and they should encourage us. We're feeling under pressure in an increasingly secular society. If we're feeling that we're very much a despised minority now, we should take courage from the fact that we do have these great privileges as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they cannot be taken from us. That's the first strand, really, to his answer. The second strand, really, comes, I think, uh, now in the second half of the letter, and that is that we should recognize the responsibilities which we have. Yes, we've got great privileges, but we also have great uh, responsibilities. We, uh, and this is what he develops in the second part of the letter. And the turning point really is in these verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So this is, these are the responsibilities which we are to take up. And he states them here in general terms. And then what he does in the rest of the letter is he goes on to apply them in specific situations. So uh, immediately after this he talks about uh, responsibilities as citizens. And then he, he talks about responsibilities in the workplace. And then he talks about responsibilities in the home, husbands and wives. And then he talks about responsibilities of how we're to behave in church, among the people of God. And so he works these principles out or he applies them in various specific situations that we find ourselves in. But before he does that, he states the general principles. This is his strategy for Christian living in a hostile world. So that's really what we're looking at this morning. A strategy for living as a Christian in a hostile world. And he really just has two points to make here. One negative and one positive. The first one comes in verse 11, where he says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. So, the first responsibility which we have as Christians living in a hostile world is to abstain from sinful desires. That's pretty plain and straightforward and clear. Now, <clears throat> You know, Peter is very concerned about these people that he's writing to. And you notice how he addresses them. He says, dear friends or dearly beloved, I urge you 
This is important. This is vitally important. This is crucial. This is absolutely essential. My dear friends, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I beg you, I plead with you to take this seriously. This is how you must live. You must first of all abstain from sinful desires. This is of the utmost importance. This is how he pleads with them. They're aliens and strangers. They're foreigners and exiles. He's used these words already back in chapter 1, verse 1, again, verse 17. He says, this is your situation. This is how you're to think of yourselves. You're living in a society that you don't really belong in. It's only a temporary situation. I mean, sometimes people have to go overseas for work and they find themselves living in another country and maybe the people there speak a different language and have different customs and different things like that. But they have to live there for a time. And they have to live there and they have to work there. But they know it's not really their home. And they know that it's really only a temporary state of affairs. It may be for a few months, it may be a few years, but they know that one day they will go back home. They're they're aliens and strangers living in a foreign country. They don't really belong there. It's only for a short while. And Peter is saying this is how Christians should view their lives in this world. There's an old uh, think, spiritual that goes, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. And that's what Peter is trying to get across to these people and to us today, that we're living in this world, but this isn't really our true home, and this isn't where we're going to live forever. Paul puts it in his letter to the Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter appeals to these people in the strongest possible terms as he appeals to us this morning. He says, dear friends, dearly beloved, I urge you, I beg you, Abstain from evil desires. Reject them. Have nothing to do with them. Say no to them. Put them to one side. Put them behind you. Abstain from evil desires. What does he mean by evil desires? Well, in chapter 2, verse 1, he identifies some of them. He says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. There are some examples of evil desires. Malice, envy, deceit, hypocrisy, slander. We might call these social sins. Sins which damage our relationships with other people. Just our inability sometimes to get along with other people. Maybe we find find ourselves on the receiving end of some of those things. And we can identify, yes, those kind of things do destroy human relationships. Peter says, make sure you as a Christian have nothing to do with those things. 
And then in chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Now these were all characteristics of the pagan society in which they lived. Again, this was the kind of behaviour that some of their neighbours was, indulge, was indulging in. We could we call, call these like sensual sins, just unrestrained licence, just totally lacking any kind of self-control, just indulging what bodily appetites, physical appetites, food for food and drink and sex, just as they pleased. And he says, some of your pagan neighbours are living like that. Well, you are not to have nothing to do with that. Abstain from such evil desires. So this is what he's saying. This is the first principle you've got hold of. If you're going to live for God in a hostile, secular society, abstain from evil desires. Uh, Jason Robinson was a a member of England's World Cup rugby winning team back in 2007. And he played for the British Lions as well. In his autobiography, he writes, Before I became a Christian, I couldn't say no. And he got involved in all kinds of excessive and destructive behaviour, which almost wrecked his career. But then after he became a Christian, he says, I discovered I could say no. Becoming a Christian brought a new discipline and joy into his life. We are to say no to these things. And we can do so by the power of the Holy Spirit that God puts within each one of us who trusts in Christ as our Saviour. We're not left on our own to fight this battle. He's with us to help us. And Peter concludes the verse by giving a motive. He says, Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul have nothing to do with these things, say no to these sins, resist these temptations, because these are things which will damage your soul, which will destroy your relationship with God, which will mean that your life as a Christian will just be totally ineffective and useless. You know, just as the COVID virus, you know, stops people from breathing, so Peter is saying these sins will stifle your spiritual life, have nothing to do with them. So how, how does a Christian live in a hostile society? Well, first of all, by abstaining from evil desires. Each one of us, we ourselves, have to take responsibility for having nothing to do with these kind of 
social sins or sensual sins which are characteristic of the society in which we live. Then in the next verse, he gives us a, a second principle. He says, not only are we to abstain from evil desires, but we are to live good lives. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So here's a second principle. Negatively, abstain from evil desires. Positively, live good lives. Do as much good as you possibly can. And this was so important to Peter that he repeats it again and again throughout the letter. In verse 15, he he tells citizens, it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. In chapter 2, verse 20, he tells slaves, but if you suffer for doing good, and you endure it, this is commendable before God. In chapter 3, verse 13, he says, Who is going to to harm you if you are eager to do good? In chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. In chapter 4, verse 19, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. I mean, every teacher knows that a fundamental principle of good teaching is that you repeat things. You have to repeat them over and over and over again until they really sink in. If something's important, you have to Repeat it again and again. And that's what Peter does here. It's like you know, the stick of rock and the letters run all the way through it. So no matter where you break into the stick of rock, it will say Port Rush or Blackpool or wherever it comes from. So constantly throughout this letter, there's this refrain, do good, do good, do good. He's hammering the point home. The Apostle Paul does the same thing. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he writes, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, we're not saved by our good works. We're saved uh, by faith, uh, by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. But if we have been saved, we are to do good. We're to do all the good we can. Christians are to be do-gooders. Now sometimes that that term is used of Christians in a pejorative sense. You know, as someone who interferes, as someone who meddles, as someone who knows, thinks they know better, as someone maybe who's self-righteous, and, 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 and or someone who is a hypocrite. Now, we're not to be like that. But it doesn't take away from the fact that we shouldn't. We shouldn't neglect to 
do good, to all, do all the good we can. Down through Christian history, um, Christians have had a great reputation, really, for doing good. You, know, you can think of some of the outstanding examples. Uh, you can think of you know, people like William Wilberforce and his campaign to abolish the slave trade. You can think of Elizabeth Fry and her efforts to improve prison conditions. You can think of Florence Nightingale and what she did to reform nursing. You can think of Thomas Bernardo and what he did to establish orphanages to care for children that had been abandoned. There's a great catalogue, there's a great list right from the very beginning of, of, of the Christian church right down to today of Christians who have done good. When Christians are sometimes in the church or sometimes being criticised today, this aspect is often left out. There's another side. Yes, Christians have had their feelings and there have been things that they've done wrong uh, and that they have to admit to and be honest about. But, but, but they still have done good in almost every sphere of life. They have done good. And you can think there's many organisations today. Uh, we here in Gilnerhart support some of them, like um, Tear Fund, Christian Action Against Poverty, um, Samaritan's Purse, uh, many, many organisations, International Justice Mission. You may get their prayer letter, you may get information from them. There are always, wherever there are problems in the world, you will find Christians working to bring help, to bring relief, to bring food, to bring, to work for justice. And we ourselves, each one of us, can do some good in the world. You know, we can be like the Good Samaritan. And wherever we come across any, anyone who is in need, if we can help them, we are to help them. Peter says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And you see, he, he gives that reason as well. He doesn't just give commands, he also gives reasons, motives for the command. We're to abstain from evil desires because they wage war against our souls. We're to do good so that even if our pagan neighbours misunderstand us, nonetheless, there will be some who in the end will acknowledge God and worship him. I think what he means by on the day he visits us is on the day of judgment. That ultimately, in the end, there will be people in heaven glorifying God because they have seen the good that other Christians have done and have turned to God and worshipped him. So this is why we're to do it. Not for our own Sake. Not that people will think well of us. Not that we'll get a pat on the back. But that they'll glorify God. And of 
course, you know where Peter got this from. Because Jesus, on that Sermon on the Mount, said, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. That they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. We live in a world which is increasingly hostile to Christian faith and to Christian standards. And we may suffer because of that. It may be that we're misunderstood, it may be we're criticised, it may be we're ridiculed, it may be we're ostracised, it may be we're passed over for promotion at work. You know, that's... It's unlikely to be the kind of suffering which these Christians faced, which would would have been violent. But we may feel that, well, because we're Christians today, we, we may suffer in some part. But we're not to be discouraged. We're not to be afraid. We're not to hide. We're not to give up. Rather, we're to recognize the responsibility that we have to abstain from evil desires and to do all the good that we can. That's our strategy, as Peter spells it out here. That's the strategy for Christians as to how to live in a hostile world. Abstain from evil desires and do whatever good you can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do just thank you for your word. We pray that you give us understanding. We pray that you help us to take it on board. Help us to apply it to our lives. And help us in the society in which we find ourselves today. Not to be sucked in and influenced by it and imitate it. And adopt its values and standards. But rather help us to abstain from evil. And help us to do whatever good we can. We ask it in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.